in the Middle East region. Hong Kong can join you all in supporting your Belt and Road ventures. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the 5th of February. On the 8th of February, I should say. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to Wednesday's Money Talk on Radio 3. Acting Hong Kong Chief Executive Eric Chan on Tuesday said the government will discuss with mainland authorities on doing away with the requirements for travellers heading north to declare their health status. Commuters are still required to make a health declaration and receive a black code before crossing into the mainland. And the world is set to welcome an additional 160 billion US dollars of tourism spending per annum after China's cross-border travel fully normalizes, according to research from the Tixis. Asia will capture $103 billion, or 64% of such expenditure, which accounts for 0.65% of GDP. North America and Europe will also attract $34 billion and $21 billion, respectively, but the numbers only constitute 0.13% and 0.09% of GDP. But Hong Kong is the real winner, with $22 billion in potentials. Uh, in potential spending equivalent to 5.9% of GDP. Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee has arrived at the second stop of his week-long trip to the Middle East in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Mr Lee told a business forum in Abu Dhabi that the UAE-Hong Kong Investment Promotion and Protection Agreement, which went into force nearly three years ago, has taken the relationship between the two places to the next level. And he described Hong Kong as your one-stop Belt and Road Centre for professional services. The Reserve Bank of Australia raised the cash rate by 25 basis points to 3.35% yesterday, the highest level since September 2012 in a widely expected decision. It was the ninth consecutive hike since policymakers embarked on their tightening cycle in May. And Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said Tuesday that very strong jobs data released last week affirms that the central bank has some way to go on raising rates. The Fed chairman went on to say that the disinflationary process, in other words, the process of getting inflation down, has begun, but it has a long way to go. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Oldcroft, Hao Hong, chief economist at Grow Investment Group, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. And please do get in touch with us. Text 63 Email moneytalk at rthk.hk. Take a look at our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, or you can tweet us at Money Talk Radio 3. On Wall Street, U.S. stocks oscillated between gains and losses following Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's speech before settling higher as traders focused on his comments that inflation was starting to come down but ignoring his comments that the Fed could be forced to hike more aggressively. The S&P 500 added 1.3% to close at 4,164. And the S&P 500's recent exuberance has sparked a golden cross. That's where the 50-day moving average crosses above its 200-day moving average. It's the first time that's happened since July 2020, and it's perceived as a bullish sign. 
The Dow rose 266 points, or 0.8%, to finish at 34,157. The Nasdaq Composite posted the best daily gain, climbing 1.9% to end at 12,114. In Europe, the Stock 600 index climbed a quarter of a percent, and in London, the FTSE 100 closed a third of a percent higher. BP joined the big oil profit bonanza, reporting record profits of 27.7 billion US dollars for 2022. That's more than double the 12.8 billion dollars in the previous year. And on Tuesday, Hong Kong stocks rebounded from three days of losses, which had knitted 4%. As investors feared higher interest rates following the much stronger than expected US jobs report, the Hang Seng Index climbed 77 points or 0.4% to 21,299. The Tech Index added 1.2%. Shares of Chinese search engine Baidu jumped over 15% to an 11-month high after the company announced that its artificial intelligence chatbot was almost ready for public launch in March. And the chatbot is named ErnieBot in English, Baidu said. The Shanghai Composite added a third of a percent to end at 3,248. Oil prices soared today as investors grew more confident in China's demand outlook. Brent crude oil settled over 3% higher at $84.09 a barrel. Gold rose $4 to $1,872 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose 3 basis points to 3.68%, taking its gain to 28 basis points over just the past three sessions. And in the currency markets, the euro is flat this morning at $1.75. The Japanese yen has jumped 1.2% to 131.06 against the dollar. One British pound is worth $1.20.5 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 46 cents. The Chinese yuan is unchanged at 6.78 in offshore markets. And Bitcoin has also triggered a golden cross for the first time since September 2021. It's up 1% at $23,200. Taking a look around Asia-Pacific stock markets at the open in Australia, the ASX 200 up a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 is declining a few minutes after trading started. It's down 0.4%. The Cosby in South Korea up two-thirds of a percent and looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 30 points at the open this morning. It's time to welcome our panel of wise and erudite guests this morning, starting with Stuart Allcroft, who is an Asian fund management industry consultant, our regular Wednesday commentator. Morning, Stuart. And good morning to you, Peter. And also with us is Hao Hong, Chief Economist at Grow Investment Group. Morning to you, Hao. Morning, Peter. And over in Washington, D.C., we find, as always, on a Wednesday, our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Good morning, Barry. Good morning to the always erudite Peter. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're too kind. Let's start with uh, John Lee's trip to the Middle East. He's been on a week-long Middle East trip. He wrapped up his stop in Saudi Arabia with a keynote speech at a flagship technology conference in Riyadh. And uh, there has been a number of bilateral agreements signed uh, to forge closer ties between stock exchanges, business associations and technology firms. Among them, an MOU between Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing and Saudi Tadawal Group. And the Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing hopes to attract uh, the world's largest company, Saudi Aramco, the state-owned oil giant's. Uh, to list here, have a secondary listing here in Hong Kong. Stuart, let me start with that. I mean, clearly, if 
Saudi Aramco were to seek a secondary listing in Hong Kong. It'd be a huge feather in the cap for both John Lee and um, and Hong Kong. But do you think it's something that's on the cards? Well, it's always a possibility. It depends on whether or not uh, they can persuade Saudi Aramco that not only is a listing worthwhile, but then they get access to mainland investors using Stock Connect program. Mm. Um, but bear in mind that Saudi Aramco has been on the receiving end of massive persuasion techniques from stock exchanges all around the world, uh, from New York and London especially, both as they are the most international of stock exchanges. Um, And uh, clearly, uh, everybody who would um, be in this market would probably want their business because they are such a large company that when they get listed, they will obviously become or they would expect to become the largest listed oil company in the world. Mm. How, I mean, this is an area, isn't it, where Hong Kong um, has some opportunities here to, to develop itself as a centre for international companies to come and list. I know we do have some, but there's, there's not really that many at the moment, is there? And they don't trade that actively. But do you think this is an area of good potential for Hong Kong? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, one, of the, yeah. Uh, one of the original purposes of the Stock Connect programme was exactly that, to enable companies to come to Hong Kong to get listed to then be bought by uh, mainland investors under the Stock Connect program. And, uh, of course, that didn't happen initially. There were restrictions placed. Only those stocks that were on, on various indices were allowed. And as, as Stock Connect has opened up over the last few years, it's made it much more attractive. Mm. Clearly, uh, there's still quite a long way to go, and uh, you have to be thinking about the big international companies around the world that trade actively in the Asian region as being uh, big targets. Um, I can remember talking with the, uh, the then CEO of the Hong Kong Exchange and Cle- Exchanges and Clearing about his ambitions, um, mm. which were very great, I have to say, a few years ago. Um, didn't quite um, occur, but it wasn't as if he was wrong. He was absolutely right, and, and, it's, and it's still right today to keep going. Uh, there are clearly a lot of companies around the world that may wish to be seen in China at some point. Um, okay. Obviously, that's uh, assuming that geopolitical um, dis- uh, um, issues can be solved. Mm. How? I mean, what are your thoughts on this? A, a yeah, good area I have of potential? Different opinion. I have different opinion. It may, may not work out. Uh, last time, you know, when uh, Hong Kong uh, Exchange had a few uh, international companies listed here, uh, Especially, you know, most notably uh, Prada, right? So trade very thin volume, uh, mm. and and um, you know, basically, no one was uh, uh, buying them. And also, you know, for Chinese investors, you know, because they have better opportunities, better investment opportunities somewhere else, they may not want to trade international names. Uh, and also at this at this juncture, after two years of bull market rally uh, in oil prices. Uh, you know, we are probably, you know, near the sort of the higher end of the oil price uh, trading range in recent years. And so if you listed the oil company now at a higher valuation and with such large market cap, and, you know, if later on you include in one of your indices, then it can actually drag on your performance. And last mm-hmm. time Hong Kong Stock Exchange did this was in February 2021, you know, when it added a whole bunch of Chinese internet uh, internet names uh, into the index. And uh, next thing you know, that was the peak 
uh, of the Hong Kong uh, market and also for the mainland market as well. So, it re- you know, I think, you know, it's, uh, in terms of timing, it may not be the best timing, you know, to include such a uh, large stock. But having said that, you know, uh, having such uh, large international names uh, chilling in Hong Kong uh, would definitely make Hong Kong, you know, uh, uh, notable on, on the map of mm. international financial markets. And, of course, having a, a high-profile company like Aramco, presumably that would be different from some of the ones we've seen before because we, we've got more natural links in some ways, haven't we, with the Middle East in terms of trade and economic links. And, of course, the obvious benefit for Aramco that um, mainland investors will be able to buy it through the Stock Connect scheme. Yeah, but there are other names, uh, energy names trading on uh, Hong Kong Stock Exchange, you know, most, most notably uh, uh, the China Petrochem and also the PetroChina, right? So Sinochem and PetroChina, uh, and both names have been done well, you know, in, in the past 10 years. And I think in the, in the recent years, the, the, the stock price of energy names in Hong Kong recovers slightly, you know, because of uh, the, uh, the trend, uh, the bullish trend in, in energy price and also uh, last year, the uh, Russian invasion of, of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. But I think going forward, you know, um, you, we can see, you know, oil prices not responding to China's reopen, right? So it's concerning, you know, because, you know, everybody was talking about uh, how oil price would outperform, you know, as China reopened and consume more. Uh, the next thing you know is that, you know, China actually buy more oil contracts at the higher end uh, of the uh, of the export price from Russia. Right? So that's quite stunning. Uh, so I would say that it's, it's still, you know, because I'm a I'm a I'm a sort of a um, market uh, economist. So I look more at the timing of the inclusion, you know, rather than you know the mm-hmm. sort of the longer term significance of the inclusion. Barry, I'm sure though uh, one of uh, Hong Kong's competitors for a listing, secondary listing, like Aramco, will be the New York Stock Exchange. They'll be competing. Well, absolutely. For that. Look, isn't it interesting? This is a very big and very important company, and everybody is courting it. You know, it used to be in the Western orbit completely, but uh, President Xi was recently in Riyadh and uh, Vladimir Putin has uh, has been courting them. So this is a big deal. Mm. Stuart, yeah, it's surprising, though. I mean, it, you know, everybody was talking about the EFG. Uh, and, you know, now that the oil company come on scene, you know, to the listed and everybody was cutting it. Right? So mm. it's quite interesting as well. Mm. And the timing, as you say, is is interesting. Stuart, overall on, on John Lee's visit to, to the Middle East, this is pretty good timing, isn't it, for a visit like this? Because clearly Hong Kong's economy has been in the doldrums. We need to find new markets, new areas where companies can expand in. And the Middle East should be a prime area for Hong Kong, shouldn't it? So this trip is a, is a good idea, the right idea at the right time? Well, it's a good idea, yes. It's, um, timing is, is a function of uh, when he felt that he could start to go out to the rest of the world. And, and I bet John Lee's enjoyed the opportunity of wandering around the streets without a face mask on. So, um, you know, that's also probably been <laughs> a, a quite educational for him. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, the Middle East naturally looks west. Uh, I, I've spent many years visiting people in the Middle East of, uh, in the past, and they naturally look west because that's where many of them have homes, second homes in London or, or New York or, or wherever. And, and so 
there's quite a lot more persuasion that's, that's necessary to, to get them to look towards the east. But do you think that's naturally changing? Because if you take a country like Saudi Arabia, its economy is changing anyway, isn't it? It's moving away yes, from yes, its dependence on oil. It's starting to look more towards China. President Xi Jinping was there only in December. So do you think maybe that will start to change and, and, and Middle Eastern countries will start to look east and, and places like Hong Kong? Well, well, bear in mind that these political leaders are talk, meeting with their opposite numbers and they're not necessarily getting down into the in, into the, uh, the the wider population, but nevertheless, it, it is important that they should do it, and and the opportunities are are considerable, and uh, not least because there has been so little movement from the Middle East towards eastern countries like China, Hong Kong, mm. Singapore, etc. So I think this is, the timing is okay. It's it, it, it's probably good because Hong Kong is now open and I think that um, we should be inviting people from the Middle East to come to Hong Kong. I'm sure John Lee's been doing that and um, bearing in mind one, one other aspect I would point out, I don't know whether they have actually done this, but, but you know, there's a lot of interest in horse racing for example in the Middle East mm. and uh, Hong Kong of course has got the biggest um, betting uh, of, of horse racing anywhere in the world and I'm sure the jockey club should be trying very hard to get into the <laughs> Middle Eastern markets and get some horses from there to come and race over here. Yeah. How, what do you think? John Lee described Hong Kong as a one-stop Belt and Road Centre for professional services. This presumably is an area, isn't it, where um, Hong Kong does have some natural advantages because there's, there's a lot of money in the Middle East. Some of the world's biggest sovereign wealth funds are there looking for products, looking for new markets. This presumably is an opportunity. Yeah, well, um, I think they raised camel over in the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> in addition to horses. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, overall, um, I think the um, uh, the longer term outlook is, is good for Hong Kong, uh, you know, because we have reopened uh, here uh, and also, you know, a bigger name uh, coming from Middle East uh, would attract a lot of international interest uh, in Hong Kong as well. And so I think, you know, it is an opportunity for Hong Kong to sort of do the diplomatic round uh, in the world. Uh, and also I think since John Lee, uh, since John Lee uh, um, uh, become the uh, CEO of Hong Kong, uh, he actually did <clears throat> a lot of um, um, initiatives, uh, executed a lot, of, a lot of initiatives, especially in terms of uh, pandemic control uh, and also reconnecting with, with uh, mainland China. So having said all that, uh, international interest in Hong Kong is very important you know, because Hong Kong is a international financial center for China. But then at the same time, uh, you know, Hong Kong, uh, the biggest market for Hong Kong remains uh, the, you know, the mainland Chinese uh, investors. Barry, let me turn to um, Jerome Powell's speech. Uh, he was speaking at the Economic Club of Washington uh, yesterday, talking about, first of all, the jobs data, which he sounded very surprised about. He said we didn't expect it uh, to be this strong. And he was basically saying that if it continues like that with strong labour market reports, it may well be the case that it's going to have to do more and raise rates more than is priced in. Markets started to fall on that, but then he went on to talk about um, the disinflationary process, which he says is the process of getting inflation down. He said it's begun, and it's begun in the goods sector, which is about a quarter of the economy, but it has a long way to go. And the markets turned around, took that quite bullish. Um, but what's, he, what's the message he's trying to get across here? Because he seems at the moment to be sort of talking out of both sides of his mouth. Well, that's true. 
I think the message is steady as she goes. Everything is on track. We'll be guided by the data, but we're satisfied. And I think the markets took it that way. Mm. I might just add, it was very interesting because this was essentially a Q&A. And who was asking the questions but David Rubenstein, who was Jay Powell's boss when Jay Powell was at the Carlyle Group, which is headed by David Rubenstein, a billionaire. David asked very concise questions, and Jay Powell gives very concise answers. I thought it was a tour de force. Mm. He said, of course, that rates may have to go up, but that will be data dependent. And he did say, as you suggest, Peter, that inflation won't uh, go away quickly or painlessly, and that um, there is a significant period of time before... We're, we're going to see things really come down. Inflation, he said, is at 5%, but to get to 2%, he said, would take all the way into 2024. So the markets liked it, and I think the audience liked it. Barry, um, one of the things that he talked about was the fact that unemployment is not uh, rising. It's still going down. More jobs are being created in the U.S., which was surprising him. And that is also a, a reason why um, inflation may stay high. Um, but isn't the summer, spring getting into summer, a time when the U.S., does see more job creations anyway. So this is, this is likely to go on for quite a long time, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right, Stuart, to highlight the job creation element of this because millions of jobs are available. We do have a shortage of workers in many sectors of the economy. And Jay Powell said that, that uh, the labor force is and the economy, the job data is much stronger than expected. And, you know, that's about as far as a Fed chairman can go in terms of talking about that. But, yes, the economy should strengthen as we go into spring and summer, but we'll have to see. How, as a market investor, how should you take this? Because on the one hand, if you look at the inflation numbers, yes, it's true that inflation in the U.S., has come off of its peak, although it's settling at a fairly high level. But then if you focus on the jobs data instead, um, it looks like the economy is very strong. A lot of jobs being uh, being created. Wage Wages are still moving up. So what do you do? Yeah, well, I mean, the historical correlation between unemployment and inflation seems to be breaking down. Um, I would say that, you know, the market chose to believe that inflation is going to cool off uh, cool down uh, very quickly while, you know, the Fed is insisting that, you know, it can hike uh, higher than what the market was expecting. Uh, so, you know, it's a bit of a dilemma, but I mean, as a market investor, you know, I always remember uh, the energy, you know, don't fight the Fed, right? So, you know, if we couldn't fight the Fed in the past, I don't know how many decades, <laughs> uh, why are we doing differently now, right? So, and also the U.S. is uh, not cheap. The U.S. market is not cheap. Valuation is still very high. And I think the U.S. market overall had a very strong uh, rebound uh, since the low in December. So I would say that for now, I would choose to stay on the sideline and, and, and watch first. You know, it's mm-hmm. probably not the best time in the year to be putting money into the U.S. market. Well, what about the... Oh, home- I think... You- Sorry, Barry. Can Sorry. I just uh, respond to how? I, I think uh, you're right. Obviously, it's expensive. But don't forget, this was a market that in 2022 was down from 15 to 30 percent. So there's a lot of opportunities, probably. And as Jay Powell said in his emphasis in his talk, 
everything relates to COVID. All these distortions that we see globally really are, are a, a function of this three-year COVID problem, which really caused a lot of people to worry. And he emphasized that. And I think central banks all over the world are doing that. You know, like we're not in a normal economy and China, tremendous optimism about them coming back, but that's, that's some time away, isn't it? How, what, what about the local markets here in, in Hong Kong? It, it appears to me that we're in quite an important juncture now because we've had this big rally since the low on October the 31st. The Hang Seng surged almost 50%, but before that, there was like a 35% loss over the preceding three months. So it rebounded from that bear market. And we've now paused, lost about 4% of those gains. Where do we go from here? Are we... Um, still in a bull market, and this is just a natural uh, correction, a natural period of profit taking. Or was this whole rally just a rally in a bear market, and we're going to sink back into a bear market? Mm, yeah, I think we're taking a pause here. Right after all, the market had a very you know strong fifty percent rally uh, from the bottom uh, in in November last year. Uh, so you know we are we're at a very significant technical hurdles here and therefore you know we're seeing some sudden pressure you know people are taking profits uh you know because they had gained so much uh, in such a short time window but i think going forward um uh, the June session is coming in march uh so you know during the during that time we're going to see more clearly uh, about the macro policy uh going forward you know we're, we're going to set a probably going to set a gdp target uh the loan target etc etc and also, uh, I think uh, sometime this week, probably later this week, we're going to see the uh, financial data uh, for uh, for uh, for last month. And I think in January, it's going to be quite positive. Uh, so I think you know all of those uh, you know can support uh, the market a bit if uh, you know the market uh, run into uh, you know sudden pressure because of profit taking. Now I have to give you some credit because I remember when you was on the program last year. Um, and the Hang Seng was trading in the 14,000s, you said that the market was going to rebound and you called it to 23,000. A lot of people didn't believe you, but it it peaked at 22,700, so only 300 points away. (laughs) So so well done on that call. So that's why I'm very interested on what you're saying is going to happen next. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think we're going to take a pause here, um, you know, because... You know, because 23,000 is really a, a very significant uh, uh, technical hurdle. And also, you know, what's going on in, in uh, uh, the mainland Chinese market, you know, because uh, uh, they are initiating a registration-based IPO system, right? So uh, if such a system can be place, I mean, in, in the past couple of years, you know, people have been discussing about, you know, this upcoming uh, reform in the stock market. It's a secular significant reform. You know, when that happens, uh, I think, you know, it can become a divergence uh, of liquidity, right? So from the secondary market into the IPO market. And therefore, you know, you, you will have less money uh, to, you know, to, to make the domestic market go up. And that way, uh, you know, because the correlation between uh, the, the mainland market and also the Hong Kong market, uh, therefore, you know, if the mainland market is weakish, uh, you know, Hong Kong market may or may not do well. So I think 23,000 uh, is the, the, the first target uh, we have met that. I think going forward, it really depends on what's, what will happen uh, in the uh, onshore Asia market, you know, to, to give Hong Kong further direction, you know, from here. 
Okay, well, I'd love to carry on longer. Very interesting discussion. But sadly, we've run out of time. So thank you very much. That's Hal Hong, Chief Economist at Grow Investment Group, Stuart Allcroft, Asia Fund Management Industry Consultant, and our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Just dipping into the markets one more time for this morning. The SX200 right now uh, is up a quarter of a percent. Over in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is slipping into negative territory. It's down about three quarters of a percent. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is up about 0.7%, and it does look like we're going to get a small gain of about 25 points or so for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for back chats coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy. One or two rain patches, bright periods during the day and a maximum temperature of about 21 degrees. And the outlook is for it to remain mainly cloudy and misty in the next couple of days. It will be relatively humid with fog on Sunday and Monday. It's 18 degrees right now, 84% relative humidity. Times 8.31, here's Barry O'Rourke with the Half Hour News. A big rescue effort is continuing for a second night to search for survivors of Monday's earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Thousands of Turkish soldiers, along with international teams, are taking part in the emergency operation in the south of the country. Nearly 8,000 people are now known to have died. President Erdogan of Turkey has declared a state of emergency across a large part of the country. Starting from places close to the disaster area, the necessary plans are being made to prepare hotels, which have already closed due to the winter season, to host disaster victims. 50,000 beds have been prepared for this purpose in the Antalya region alone. The United Nations has warned that the flow of vital aid to northwest Syria is being disrupted because of damage to the roads. Half the population in Syria's rebel-held controlled area is already displaced and living in refugee camps in freezing conditions. Jan Egeland is from the Norwegian Refugee Council. It's an earthquake in a gigantic cluster of refugee camps. The main border crossing is called Babel Hawa. That is the one that is authorized for the United Nations and for non-governmental organizations. That one has not been in use since the earthquake came because of the supply routes from and to Babel Hawa are full of rubble. The Hong Kong Red Cross says it will launch an emergency appeal this week to raise funds to help relief efforts in Turkey and Syria. Karen Poon, head of International and Relief Service with the Red Cross, says that internationally it hopes to raise over 215 million US dollars to aid in rescue and rebuilding efforts. Since Hong Kong Red Cross, we are already receiving designated donations, especially for those affected in Turkey and Syria, so that we can provide the essential material aid and mobilizing our volunteer staff to go on site to help them. We will be launching an emergency appeal this week, and we hope that we will raise the funds for the essential items for those in need. Russia's foreign minister has outlined Moscow's ambition to provide military backing for countries across West Africa in the battle against jihadists. Sergei Lavrov was speaking during a visit to Mali. It's formed a close relationship with Russia, hosting mercenaries from the Wagner Group. Mr Lavrov insisted the Kremlin could help other governments too. The fight against terrorism is, of course, a problem for other countries in the region. We are going to provide our assistance to them to overcome these difficulties. This concerns Guinea, Burkina Faso, Chad and the Sahel region generally, and even the coastal states on the Gulf of Guinea.
Finally, scientists in the UK have for the first time assessed the number of people at risk from floods caused by the climate-induced melting of mountain glaciers. Researchers say at least 15 million people are exposed, with more than half living in just four countries, India, Pakistan, China and Peru. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's programme, we're talking about transgender rights